Hi there, thank you so much for joining me. I'm Hecate, and this is Finding Okay, a healing podcast for survivors of sexual assault and any and all abuse. Today, I'm joined by my sister, Chie. Chie holds a BA in somatic psychology. She is a harpist, championship Irish step dancer, and singer. She and her partner live in the Midwest with their puppies, and every so often, Chie joins me for an episode. I realized looking back that my last episode with Chie was in season two in 2020. We've both experienced a lot of growth since then, and I'm so happy she was able to join me to talk about our evolving understanding of self-care and emotional self-regulation. And now it's time for trigger and content warnings for this episode include the following trauma, abuse, developmental abuse, and eating disorders. Please check in with yourself and make sure you're all right to continue. Yeah, just kind of working on working on getting back on track and you know how to how do I keep going with my life without you know, everything just grinding to a standstill, Mm -hmm. you know, because things are not always going to be optimal, obviously. And so trying to find those ways to, you know, do enough self-care that I can kind of scrape by uh, until I can do more self-care, which, you know, I'm I'm sure other people can relate to. It's not ideal because, you know, and in a perfect world, we'd be able to, you know, have all the resources we need at all, all the time. And if we need a day off, we would get it. Um, but that's not really the world we live in. Yeah. So, yeah. As you know, I keep a, a written planner and I, uh, after things kind of hit me upside the head and I experienced a sort of uh, some burnout real hard all of a sudden that really kind of took me by surprise uh, a couple of days ago, I, I flipped back through my planner and realized that for weeks I was deprioritizing self-care. I kept putting it down on the to-do list or this or that. And I kept, you know, giving myself like a stack of executive function tasks and then be like, oh, like, and then do this for yourself. And then that would be the box that was unchecked for like day after day after day. And I, you know, and like the only form of self-care that I was really, you know, every, maybe like once a week, it was like, oh, I took a bath and, you know, and just sort of like, yeah, like that, that's nice, but like, that's not, that's not the full picture. And I just remember, um, I think it was like earlier in the week or like last weekend. So a matter of days before I experienced burnout, I remembered that I had been taking a bath and eating a Caesar salad and reading like webtoons at the same time. And I remember thinking like, see, for some people, this might be rock bottom, but for me, this is actually great. And then like days later, I'm like not able to do anything. And I'm like, okay, maybe that was not great. (laughs) Maybe it was a sad bath salad. And I just was not able to recognize that at the time. And maybe we should take bath salads as maybe a warning sign next time. (laughs) Sad bath salad. Sad bath salad. <laughs> oh my god, I love it. I can't personally say that I've ever eaten a 
a bath salad, sad or otherwise. Um, I hadn't either. It's, I'll be honest, a little weird. I don't recommend. It doesn't seem ideal. Like, like if I were going to go with different foods to eat in the bath, a salad wouldn't be at the top of my list. But also, I love Caesar salad. So That was the thing. I was like, well, I love Caesar salads, and I love baths, and I love webtoons. And I was like, I could combine all three of them. But really, it was just like, it was just that I was running low on spoons. I needed to eat, but I also wanted to like check that self-care box. And so I, I ended up like just sitting in the bathtub, like shoveling salad into my mouth and being like, I'm doing such a good job. <laughs> it was like oh shit sweetie no (laughs) that's such an interesting like I think that's a really good point actually that you bring up as far as it being like a box to check on your planner (laughs) that that so often happens I think for a lot of people is that self-care becomes another item on our to-do list that we then guilt ourselves or let me speak from I guess personal experience I guilt myself (laughs) for not doing it Mm-hmm. Which just kind of adds to overall stress. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I just kind of realized, like, at the end of that of that big stretch of having not gotten to it, not got like just realizing that I had that I had been neglecting to practice actual self care, and that that's how I got there. That I had been overworking myself and not taking proper care of myself, um, and then just kind of ended up there, and and it did just kind of make me realize like I don't understand self-care as well as I wish I did. Like it's it's still hard for me to like answer that question, what does self-care look like? And it looks all sorts of different ways, but I think the way it gets talked about a lot of the time, um, at least on our social media feeds and stuff like that, is a lot of um uh, I I read this thing that I really liked, and it was a really great call out. And I happened to to scroll past it when I was in the middle of this uh, of this burnout. And um, and to be honest, I'm still kind of I'm I'm just starting to claw my way out of the burnout. But I read this thing that was uh, most of us aren't actually practicing self care; we're practicing aftercare, which is not sustainable. And it made me think of the way that we so often talk about self care is it's lumped in with like the the treat yourself kind of thing where it's like, oh, you'll do this and this and this and then like get yourself a latte, you know, and it's like, that's not, that's, that's a reward, you know, like, so, so I just kind of realized like that, that box that I was putting self-care, like check it off. That box was me setting a reminder to reward myself for overextending myself in terms of work and executive function tasks. And then never actually checking that box. So like the box was there wrong and then I wasn't even doing it. So it was just, it was just bad on top of bad on top of bad. And I was, so, you know, just like, I still, I still, (laughs) I'm amazed that I'm like a grown ass human being, like inching my way towards 40 and I still don't fully know how to take care of myself. (laughs) Like, like, not really, because we're just not taught. We're not taught. Yeah, like I don't, I don't think it's, I, I don't know. That so, so feels feels like a little hard on on you, and I don't think that's necessarily fair to you. Um, Thanks. That's the headspace I'm in. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I am. <laughs> I am right there with you. I'm trying to like like today is a little bit uh, more put together than yesterday, but you know it it uh 
yeah, I have a I have a feeling that this talk is going to be the the topic is going to be more self care. Um, if that's cool with you, <laughs> let's let's talk self care. I did have like an emotional regulation story I wanted to share, but oh, we can I steer mean, clear. Are, no, are you no, saying you'd it, rather steer clear or? No, we can still talk about it. I just, sure. I, I feel like the self-care piece might be more like where we're both at. Um, and mm. I think that emotional regulation is part of self-care. Um, yeah. Because I think emotional regulation kind of hinges upon this sort of unspoken ability to know what your emotional state is at any given point in time. And that's a really big assumption, actually. It is. <laughs> at least, yeah, for me. Because there's always stuff under the surface as well. Yeah, well, and that's been like, so So, kind of one of the big things that I've been working with in my own journey and therapy journey and just life journey, working with complex PTSD, there are just, some differences as far as you know various triggers and how they show up i i am not sure how people with you know more acute ptsd would relate to it and the the diagnosis for me of complex ptsd um is relatively recent just within the last year or so which like i'm just remembering my therapist was like oh yeah no you have complex ptsd for sure and i'm like this is totally news to me. <laughs> like, this is a thing. I like that you said for sure. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Well, I mean, the, like, in my mind, that's how it happened. She's like, oh, yeah, no. Yeah, you had that. I imagine like, that being on the di- diagnostic, like, paper, just sort of like, sure. for sure. <laughs> Heck. <laughs> like, are you really sure? For sure. For- yes. Check. <laughs> Um, but yeah, as much uh, is complex. <laughs> is it just regular trauma or is it like complicated? <laughs> complex AF. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. But, um, for, sure. <laughs> for sure. Yeah, but. Um, <laughs> Sorry. No. No, it's good. Um, but yeah, it, it's been a, it's been a real trip. Just like this past year realizing that you know I've always kind of prided myself as being as as holding it together you know being able to function despite everything basically and you know like I graduated high school at 21 and that was a big achievement for me and then graduated college I think it took me five and a half years to get through my bachelor's and that was a big accomplishment as well but yeah just kind of like yes I can do these things like I can hold down a job like rar I am an adult and I'm fooling the world into thinking that everything's fine and I can do enough self-care to get by and you know be normal quotes mm. And just kind of realizing that me doing self-care and getting by has been me just dissociating, like, pretty much the vast majority of my life. Mm -hmm. In, like, varying degrees, you know? Um, Which, just to be clear, is not actually self-care. Yeah, no. (laughs) Just in case you're listening. (laughs) You should know. 
<laughs> it doesn't like that's not what that is. <laughs> it's not. If you're like, oh, I need to do self care, let me dissociate. No, doing it wrong. You? I can tell you personally, <laughs> that's not the way to do it. Don't do it. <laughs> um, do not recommend. <laughs> Five out of six physicians agree. That's not correct. The six was not present in their body at the time the study was taken. <laughs> I give it a one star review. I give it zero if I could. So it's been educational uh, this past year, just realizing that me actually being present physically in my body in the moment is a rough ride. It's uh, brutal. It is brutal. That's a great word. Yeah. It's like, uh, yeah, it's really hard. Um, but also, it f- for me right now, it's really the only way forward in healing. And that is a tough pill to swallow. Yeah. So here I am. Yeah. Well, it's lovely to have you here. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah. No, it's... Uh, it is a brutal realization like, Oh, I have to, (laughs) I have to stay here in my body, like on this plane of existence. Boo. (laughs) This, I hate it here. (laughs) Ooh, yes. No, no, (laughs) no, thank you. But yeah, I'm still honestly trying to figure out, you know, how to get myself to actually check in, you know, somatically like with my body multiple times throughout the day and it is a work in progress i'm still trying to figure out the best way to do it because i'm just not doing it um what is that you i know you just said that you're like still figuring out how to do it but like what things are you trying or what does that look like for you i mean honestly full disclosure (laughs) i am not trying it as hard as i should be because no shoulds i keep Ah, yes. Reframe. Um, interesting. Okay. Mm. Yes. It's a journey. Right. It's going to take so. you time to be fully <laughs> in your body, and that's okay. Yes. All right. So one of my personal shoulds is um, around mental health. And uh, for me, there's a big fear and guilt and shame wrapped in, wrapped up in the idea of being weak, you know, there's a lot of perfectionist tendencies of, you know, doing something the right way. And for me, that's, you know, a no-win scenario when it comes to my own mental health. Yeah. (laughs) Because, you know, where is even, like, how do you even measure that? Um, I'm going to be the best and most perfect at being an imperfect being. (laughs) Exactly. Like, (laughs) not, not great. Not great. But yeah, I think uh, I don't know what I think. <laughs> what are what are you trying as as far as like checking in? Right, thank you. I'm been trying, you know, certain times of day. Like every time I I look at the clock and it's, you know, on the hour, you know, taking a breath and checking in. But that hasn't been working super well because I just don't do it. And so previously, things that I've done in the past is, you know, I used to wear a mala 
Uh, so prayer beads and every time, you know, I'd kind of look at them, that would be helpful. But yeah, it's, it's a little, it's a little tricky. Um, I'm trying to find some sort of kind of like, you know, training the brain to lucid dream. You know, how do you recognize that you're, you're dreaming is by training your, your mind when you're awake to like check your reality basically. Mm -hmm. Um, And like ingraining that habit of like, every time you look at a, a clock, you know, looking back at it, does it say the same time? Every time mm-hmm. you read the sign, like, double check, like, does it say the same thing? That co- kind of thing. Um, I love that this is happening on multiple levels of consciousness. <laughs> yeah. Getting used to reminding yourself, like, figuring out that you're dreaming and also, like, and then having to also, like, figure out how to figure out that you're awake. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's that's kind of the thing is, like, I feel like something like that would probably work really well if I could get my foot in the door and actually kind of get around the trauma and get myself to, to feel safe doing it. And that's kind of the trick is that it doesn't feel safe to do it. Even though I'm now in a safe place, you know, in, in my life Um, it's so ingrained and has been for, you know, 30 plus years that kind of constantly being on edge, that nervous system that's just constantly like hair trigger, always looking for support for things being unsafe rather than looking for safety cues. And so, so I guess that's one thing that I've started trying to do that has been helpful is trying to, and I I read this somewhere, but it, it was basically talking about, you know, in retraining the, the mind and the nervous system, particularly in cases of, you know, long, long-term abuse and, and PTSD that's a little bit more complex uh, rather than acute is looking for safety cues rather than danger cues. Um, and that, you know, our, our minds, our brains have been programmed to assess for threat and that that is much more natural mm-hmm. uh, for us as a species because it prolongs yeah. our survival. <laughs> you know, the, what is helpful is actually looking for things in my environment that signal me to my nervous system that I am safe mm. because that is the reality. There is no tiger coming through the window attacking me. You know, that car outside plowing our driveway because it snowed is not a danger life threat. It's just a car plowing snow, but yeah, it's a, uh, it's intense. So for me, it's things like our dogs are really helpful as far as, you know, like, oh, they're here, everything's everything's good, everything's safe. You know, they're much more finely tuned to things being off or just like, hey, I'm in my I'm in my house, like I'm in my home, you know. These walls are still standing <laughs> and kind of like physically like touching a wall and being like, Yup, <laughs> still there. We're good. Good on you, buddy. <laughs> Yeah. You're doing it. You're doing it, Peter. Um, You're doing it, Peter. So what are what are some of your other safety cues? I love this. Um I mean those are kind of the main ones. I'm still working on it. We got walls, um, we got dogs, we're good. But trees. I like trees. Yeah. I look out the window a lot, um, you know, at our yard or, you know, at the sky, anything naturist that I can find, I find reassuring. 
do your houseplants help? I know that you're like growing oh, an indoor no. garden or do you still have like a pothos or stuff like that? I do. Our, our current house setup, the the lighting is not necessarily ideal for a lot of plants. So we have kind of one spot where they all live and it's not in my office. And it has a LED grow light because even in that room, like we just, mm-hmm. we don't have any, you know, great spots for growing plants, unfortunately. It's kind of the, the main downside. But, um, but yeah, that would probably work, work well if, uh, if I had one. Maybe I'll try and get one in here. But yeah, I think, I think for me, um, nature is a big one. Going for walks is really great. We can't really do it right now because, it's uh, very cold and snowy where we are, and it gets down to quite quite cold. So at a certain point in the winter, we have to stop walking our dogs, which is unfortunate. It's helpful, I think, being outside for me. Mm-hmm. But also I realize that's probably not the case for everyone. I think for some people, nature can be ominous or unfamiliar and can seem threatening. So... It really depends on, I think, where you grew up and, you know, what what those safety cues are personally for Mm -hmm. people. So you mentioned that you had been kind of trying to to do something like hourly. Are you open to suggestions? Yeah. In my experience with trying to do hourly meditation type things or similar check-ins in the past, going from either like nothing or one to an hourly thing never worked for me either. And so maybe just try as a starting place, like one time, like a certain time of day, like whatever your day looks like maybe in like the afternoon, like if you can like have a time that maybe like you have an alarm that goes off or something and you go and make yourself a cup of tea and you can like center yourself as you make the tea or something or whatever, whatever you want to do. It doesn't have to be tea. I just, you know, like that's a very Zen thing. So I, so I immediately went to that, but something, something that would be a doing thing or something that would like ask you to be present in your body or invite you to be present in your body and like recheck in with yourself if it feels safe to do that and, and then have that grounding kind of carry into you know then the invitation is to cool like I'm in your in in my body at you know like this time of day like maybe it will become easier to to check in more frequently or something you know so so kind of kind of finding like a good starting place and then you know the invitation is to grow from there Hmm. but what you were talking about with like the hourly thing like that sounds like something that I would do and then be really disappointed in myself for not being able to like go from disassociating all the time to all of a sudden being 100% present in my body every hour on the hour throughout the day. That sounds like. <sighs> I mean, when you say it like that, <laughs> it sounds ma- like maybe a kind of unreasonable expectation. I suppose. <laughs> it's a lot to ask of yourself because it's really hard to yeah. be in your body when you're not used to being in your body. That is very true. And it is it is as you said earlier. It's a rough ride. Like <laughs> being a person is really brutal. And so just like gently ease yourself 
into into being present in your physical form yeah i think that's i think that's good advice uh also reminded me that like i guess i do do some other things like i stretch throughout the the work day i work from home um, good and so periodically getting up and stretching um you know doing some squats or you know kind of authentic movement sort of you know, natural movement sort of stuff, just moving how kind of feels, feels good in the body. Um, mm. And that I think is a lot more accessible than more structured things. It's important too, when you work like sitting yeah. or at a screen, like, and honestly, like, I just want to recognize that working, sitting down that uh, like looking at a screen all day that invites in like disassociation. It's, it's so hard to stay present in your body when you do work like that because it is weirdly hard on the body Mm -hmm. so I'm glad that you're stretching yeah I find it helpful um you know I do a lot of like doorway kind of stuff with like you know an arm on either side of the doorway and leaning forward to kind of get that chest stretch in there and kind of neck neck stuff I get a lot of headaches so but yeah I think uh just a lot of stuff like that and it's tricky and we do have like some uh you know workout equipment in our our basement so we we'll kind of go and do that uh, and I'll do that with my partner but it's it's a little a little tricky i think for a lot of people that would be probably a really great option um if they're able to do it just unfortunately because of the eating disorder history that i have atypical anorexia it means that if i've been at all short on food i've get like pretty sick (laughs) kind Mm. of immediately now which I think is actually a really good sign because it means that my body is like taking less shit from me (laughs) you know if I if I don't eat enough it's it's a dizzy you know nausea it's basically the equivalent to my body just being like oh fuck no like you did not just pull this shit again um but yeah I'm shutting it down I'm shutting the whole thing down <laughs> yeah, like you you're not going anywhere <laughs> yeah so it, it's a it's a really good gauge of like you know I, I also have a history of obsessive exercising um, as part of the eating disorder and so it's actually kind of helpful that our workout gear is in our basement so there is a set of stairs mm-hmm. and if I'm questioning whether I'm able to go down and then back up the stairs in quick succession uh, without getting super dizzy, um, yeah, probably shouldn't be working out. My goodness. Yeah. yeah. The stairwell of introspection. <laughs> yeah. Of just like, oh, wow. So I thought I was doing great <laughs> on food today. Clearly not so much. Big, big feelings. You know, eating disorder recovery is a long, a long journey. So many mixed emotions around, around that. Yeah. Feelings. Big feelings. Big feelings. (laughs) Big Big feelings. feelings. Where's the the emote I can spam? (laughs) Why isn't this Twitch? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Lots, just lots to consider um, (sighs) while, while doing the daily work of living. 
Well, and it's it's challenging with the exercise thing. Like speaking for myself, it's hard because so often when we talk about self-care, like there's other levels, like there's the superficial level that gets talked about a lot, which is, you know, like do something nice for yourself, like, you know, the the treat yourself like superficial kind of thing and there's deeper stuff like eat a healthy meal, like do something good for your body, like the the next layer of like self-care stuff and, you know, taking care of your vehicle. I, and I, by that, I mean your body, huh? No. <laughs> Not your car. Uh, change your bike. tires. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, so, so something that's constantly like, oh, you should do some yoga or you should, you know, like exercise or something like that is, is often like that, that recommended kind of thing. And for me, it's, um, I have a lot of uh, struggle with that, with some, you know, with the, you know, and, and if you don't know this about me, like I also have a history with atypical anorexia. The workout thing, I didn't have as much of that as as you did. As my body has changed, as I've started to take better care of it, finding movement that is healthy has been challenging. It's difficult being in a body that I don't necessarily I identify with or <laughs> it's uh it's very challenging try you know there are these things that would be really good for me like yeah yoga would be really good for me but oftentimes I don't actually make it to the yoga mat because I'm checking in with myself and all my reasons for stepping onto the yoga mat are wrong and unhealthy mm-hmm. and uh and are only going to lead to further unhealthy thoughts and experiences. And so it's it's this kind of thing where like, I don't get on the mat because I know that it's actually just (laughs) that it's just like stepping like off a cliff almost where it's just sort of like, well, like I can't, I can't make that next step step in a healthy way. And, and it's just going to be falling down a set of stairs. Like if I can't, if I can't do this right, so we, I guess we just don't do it. Um, and so yep. from the outside, like if you're not privy to all of that, it just looks like I'm not taking care of my body, but it's actually the opposite. Yeah. I'm making sure to not put myself in a situation where I'm going to be engaging with unhealthy thoughts and behaviors, you know, and starting myself down this path of like, well, I'm not. I'm not going to just like spew a whole bunch of unhealthy thoughts, but they're there and they're very present for me. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. 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 No, um, I, it's right. Definitely relate because um, that's been a, a huge piece for me in eating disorder recovery. In that, you know, my body has gone through a lot of changes in the last few years, and I have very mixed feelings about that, um, which come from various parts of myself, some helpful, some not helpful, um, and some honestly a mix. And that's been a really big, I think, part of recovery for me has been kind of coming to terms and acknowledging that for me, my eating disorder was not a purely negative thing. And that's like a, whoa, like pump the brakes. Like, how can you possibly say that? And I think, you know, I read a lot of stuff when I first started recovery, you know, talking about like calling your eating disorder Ed and like, you know, he's an abusive partner. And I think like 
a lot of that can be very true at certain times for me. But it's it's been really a journey of of kind of coming to terms with abuse and trauma, uh, developmental trauma, and just realizing that, you know, these behaviors aren't serving me now as an adult. They may not have been the most skillful or the best option at that time, but it's the best job that I knew how to do with what I had with my circumstances. Mm -hmm. Um, And in the grand scheme of things, I was dealing with intense depression and just very difficult mental spaces. And in the grand scheme of things, you know, I'm not healthy by any stretch of the imagination. Like my body, it has taken a toll and will be with me for my life. But it did keep me alive. And Mm -hmm. that was not a given in those years. So kind of respecting that internal wisdom, however misguided it may have been, it got the job done very messily. I I think that's a beautiful way to look at it, you know, like forgiving a child self that was in a bad situation, was dealt kind of a, a rough hand and was not given the tools that it needed to cope in a healthy way and so constructed the tools that were necessary as as best it knew how and yeah like they weren't they weren't ultimately healthy tools but they were the tools the only tools that were there and you you did the best that you could as the self that you were and as the child that you were. And yeah, I like forgiving child self is I I think a really important thing. And I think that's a beautiful way to, to kind of approach it. Yeah. And I think, you know, so, so the way that I am approaching a lot of the, the complex PTSD and, and the eating disorder stuff uh, in, in therapy is through uh, parts work, you know, internal family systems. And if, uh, if listeners haven't like aren't familiar with that, like I, I'd look into it. Um, it's not for everybody, you know. Not everyone will really like resonate with that type of work. Um, but I've found it really helpful, particularly I think because I have had varying degrees of dissociation for so many years that I, I found the parts work to be very, very helpful mm-hmm. in sort of constructing an internal map of my mind and how everything's working and that it's not just, you know, a nice stable central core self who's driving the bus all the time and has everything together. Like, mm-mm. like that bus is full of like a shit show of like toddlers, you know, elementary school kids, like just madhouse of teenagers some very like, grumpy teenagers yes yeah, just like growing <laughs> shit and like all of them like periodically like trying to grab the wheel and like wrench it out of my hands so it's like a hot mess a lot of the time but also you know usually i have the wheel and it, it is more of a conversation and a gentle process of like hey so I know that you're having really big feelings right now and they're super valid and I realize my tone is super condescending 
right now. But I'm still going to need you to give me that wheel back. <laughs> like, hey. well, well, and so like a lot of um, what I've found really helpful that my therapist has kind of been walking me through is in dealing with this type of trauma that's from younger ages, in order to heal it, you have to take that younger self and bring it into the present with you because the past is not happening anymore. You know, mm-hmm. and, and so I do get flashbacks, actually, which is strange because I never really used to. Or I would get them, you know, I, I didn't realize that that's what they were. But mm-hmm. I, I used to just ha- sort of have this internal knowledge of like, oh, yeah, like every couple weeks I just, you know, periodically break down alone in my room and I cry hysterically for like four hours and stare at the ceiling while the sun sets and everything gets really dark and I don't turn on any lights and I just like don't move and don't talk to anyone. And then I move on with my life and I just, you know, pretend that like, well, that was weird anyway. You know, I just never really thought that there was anything I could do about it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And now I know that, yeah, that, is not normal. That is not how most people, you know, live their daily lives. (laughs) And that that's an experience of uh, long-term trauma. So, Mm -hmm. so yeah, now I get um, actually like little, little flashbacks where I, they don't feel a little, they feel really big, (laughs) Um, but they kind of pop up randomly and much more frequently than I would like. Um, It's extremely uncomfortable. And fortunately I do work from home and I have a very supportive partner and, you know, he just gives me space and I almost completely lose space and time. Not totally, but you know, like mostly gone and then, you know, come back. And what I've started being able to do, more recently within the last few months is, you know, as I'm coming back, whether it's because my dog is licking my face and is like, let me drink your tears. It will make it better. (laughs) Um, Which is very sweet. Or um, just, you know, kind of my nervous system is running. It's, it's running its course and I'm kind of able to, to come back a little bit, actually bringing that sort of past self into the present with me then sort of imagining that whatever age that memory is from, like, hey, you know, 10-year-old me, that was that was horrible. You didn't deserve that. How about you come sit with me where we are now? And, like, you keep having those feelings, those very, very big, valid feelings, those very, you know, scary, sad, whatever feelings, angry, you know? And, like, it's okay. You know, you don't have to run the show anymore. I'm going to run the show and I can handle it mm-hmm. and basically kind of parenting that, that younger child self and being like, Hey, like, let's imagine that you're just going to sit on the couch with me and, you know, I'm going to like put an arm around you and we're just gonna, we're going to be here together and we're going to move on to the next step in our day or night or whatever it is. Yeah. You know, let's make some tea. Let's, you know, get a drink of water let's try and communicate with our partner because he's, you know, been very nice and quiet and also, you know, maybe let's try and communicate to him what's going on. 
um, and that everything's okay. And just kind of like letting that younger self be present and know that like that's not happening anymore. Yeah. I think probably what's been really helpful for me in the last few months is kind of as I've been coming to terms with the idea of becoming becoming a parent eventually, um, which is a very mm. huge, complicated issue for me, having, you know, gone through developmental abuse from a, from a parent. And that initially growing up for years, I just assumed I would have children um, because that's what that parent wanted. Yeah. And it is also what society, you know, has pushed on me for years. Just like, oh, of course I'll have kids. And then as I got more into healing, realizing, oh shit, like, I don't know if I even want this. Like, I don't know if I can even be a good parent just after everything that I've gone through. Um, And that that's a really big value of mine is, you know, being able to be a safe, kind, caring, supportive parent. And then kind of eventually things coming full circle, but in, you know, a very different place realizing like, okay, yes, I do want to be a parent for my own reasons, not related to my abuser. And what kind of a parent do I want to be? And then kind of realizing that I get to practice that on myself. And also I need to practice that on myself. And that's been really helpful dealing with these kind of younger, younger pieces who didn't get that parenting and are, you know, still feeling quite broken about it. But it doesn't mean we have to stay broken. I had this this moment a couple weeks ago where I was really, really proud of myself. Where I felt like it, it was it was kind of like a every so often something happens and you kind of like stick a flag in the ground and you're like, we've made progress. Well done. <laughs> like kind of a mile marker for yourself personally. And I had one of those with um, with emotional regulation in it, you know, and I very much was able to kind of look upon it as like, this was not always possible for myself in the past because of abusive patterns and because of abuse that I've experienced. But basically, I won't get into specifics, but, you know, in a more professional relationship, you know, or, or just interaction, um, I had invested you know, my time and my money with a person that I was going to work with. You had a, you had a a working arrangement with someone. Yeah. There was an agreement, a working agreement, and I had invested time and, uh, and money in order to make this happen. And, uh, you know, at their request and then at the last minute, they were extremely rude and disrespectful in the manner that they backed out. And, uh, and I would have been fine with them backing out. I'm always very understanding, but it was so rude and so disrespectful. Uh, and when I read what they sent me, I was, imme- I was angry almost immediately. And that's a huge deal for me because usually it takes me a long time to get to anger. And I don't recognize it immediately when I feel it or feel entitled to feel it, which then makes everything worse. And so I was able to recognize immediately that I had just been disrespected, which is also great progress. So recognize it as disrespect and rudeness, acknowledge that that was shitty (laughs) and that I deserved better, 
be angry uh, and feel angry and recognize that I was feeling angry. And then immediately I sought out my partner, you know, and vented for maybe like 20 minutes or something and just like, blah, <laughs> just, just kind of like raged a little bit and like grumpy, 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 grumpy. And, um, you know, and not like screaming or throwing things, you know, that's, that's not the kind of angry, you know, but just, just sort of like tiny person rage, tiny person rage. And, then, um, this was very um, frustrating. <laughs> I'm so <laughs> short, so angry. <laughs> um, you know, and managed to, in that moment, also work through and acknowledge the self-doubt feelings or things that usually come up for me, which is like, well, I'm sure that I'm misunderstanding and this is actually somehow my fault. Ah, um, uh, yes, the self-gaslighting. Yes. So, so recognize, you know, well. <laughs> exactly. Working through that, like, you know, kind of like instinct to go towards that where it's like, you know, I'm actually, it's because of me that they actually, you know, like, this is somehow my fault. You know, this, this was, they, they, you know, like they figured out the truth about me that I'm actually a very shitty person and, you know, or, or, or maybe like, you know, they saw something about me that they didn't like and they decided that they, you know, weren't interested in working with me or, you know, just, you know, so, so whether it's like, you know, valid deficiency on my part or, or perceived deficiency, you know, that they have perceived in me, you know, but just sort of like that, uh, that instinct of, of like, oh, but how can we, how can we internalize this? And, <laughs> and, um, and then hold on to it for, yeah. Years. And make, and, you know, like, <laughs> let's, let's, you know, uh, Add it you to know. our collection of horribly shiny things that we pull out in the dead of night when we're self-doubting mm. and hold up all these different little relics. <laughs> this is my shitty horde of self-hatred. <laughs> yes. Look how it glitters. Um, <laughs> evil, evil glitters. Evil glitter. But yeah, and and kind of just like verbalizing that, checking myself on it, allowing myself to be checked on it when my partner was like, oh, no, 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 no. And I was like, you are right. That is what I'm doing. And then, uh, you know, being like, okay, thank you for listening. <laughs> you can go back to sleep. And <laughs> I'm, no, I'm kidding. I didn't wake him up, but he was drifting off. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> and he was like, oh, okay. Um, so, um, you know, but but then I was like, I'm going to go take a bath. And he was like, an angry bath. And I was like, yes. And so so literally did that, like drew myself a bath and then just like sat and, you know, and, and just sort of like, you know, just like splishy splashy. <laughs> I'm kidding. I wasn't just like splishy splashing, but like, but yeah. I was. Splashing. You know, just I was stewing. <laughs> I was making angry stew, and um, but yeah, like and it, it helped just kind of like I, I honestly I think it helped me be in my own body, check in with my own body, and just kind of like regulate things a little bit, you know. And I I took care of you know just a few things where it immediately also threw me into like executive function issues where it was like, now I have to work around this. And, you know, sort of that, like that panic mode of like, what do I, what do I do instead? This person just, you know, like fucked all this shit up for me, you know? And so once I was in the proper headspace to be like, I'm not going to allow myself, like everything's going to be fine. I can have this figured out and I'm going to do X, Y, Z, you know, some problem solving and, uh, and then the satisfactory thing of like, I'm going to get my money back for this thing, you know, that I had spent money on in order, you know, to make this thing happen. I'm able to do that. Like, that's something 
you know, feasible that I'm allowed to do that makes me feel better because they didn't just get money from me. And, um, you know, and I'm going to go white out their name on on my planner. That feels really satisfying. Just like erase this person and, you know, and, you know, shuffle all their emails out of my inbox so that I don't have to look at their name anymore. And so those really like tangible things that I was able to do to, to kind of step back, you know, and I like, I think like vented in my discord, um, you know, in the proper channel where it was like, you know, this is a vent and just like, bleh, you know, just kind of, you know, said stuff and then was able to be like, okay, and, and feel better and get to a better place with it where I'm like, okay, that was shitty and I'm okay now. And just kind of recognizing that within within the span of like maybe like an hour or two that I had gone from like something shitty happening that I had recognized it as shitty and disrespectful, recognized that I didn't deserve that, and then feel my anger all the way through, express it immediately in a healthy way, in a healthy and constructive way, problem solve and then feel my way through the anger to the point that I was no longer feeling angry. And that that took maybe an hour, maybe two hours. And that that was a massive amount of progress for me, especially because anger has always been one of the most challenging emotions for me to deal with. Um, Because it was just, I was never given a very healthy example of what like a healthy expression of anger looked like in growing up at all. That was not a thing. Um, for us growing up. And it just never felt safe for me to feel or express it. There was not room made for it. And also through all these, you know, like different levels of abuse, never recognizing when I was being treated, treated badly. And then internalizing everything and saying, oh, well, if they are treating me badly, it's actually my fault and I deserve it, you know, or, you know, making it my fault or something like that. And then not feeling it immediately, you know, and, and just keeping everything under the surface and, and stewing or, you know, all of this unhealthy shit. So just like, that was, that was some great character arc for me. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, Oh, good job. Good job. We're making oh, progress. That's, that's amazing. I mean, I don't, um, I don't think I could do it that quickly. Even, even now. Uh, I also have difficulty with anger. <laughs> Same family of origin. So yeah, mm-hmm. I think for me, like recognizing that feeling of anger is is so difficult just from from how we grew up kind of like you said like you know something can happen and you know feel angry but not not okay not able to express it in a healthy way um, wouldn't be received well or dealt with in a stable way so oh this must not be anger it can't be anger anger is not safe so this has to be i have to change this feeling into something else, which for me was usually um, shame, like Mm. something that I had done wrong, Mm. Um, which is why like for years I was like, yeah, no, sometimes I just get this overwhelming wave of shame and I have no idea why. And I just go through like, like if I had a book that was my life, I would just be like ripping through the pages. Like, what is it? Where is it? Like I did something wrong. I know I did. And, like, not being able to think of anything, you know, recently. Mm-hmm. Which, like, is strange because I can think of lots of things usually. Um, but, like, you know, tiny little things. And I'd be like, oh, well, that one time, you know, I drew on a wall in third grade and it makes me a horrible person. Because, you know, I was eight and 
should have known better. I don't like, I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. I was um, eight and should have known better. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, I definitely had a fully developed frontal lobe back then. Yeah, not really. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just these, these random shame waves that kind of would just come over me. And I think a lot of it is, yeah, just from how we grew up and, Mm-hmm. I do I do remember becoming an adolescent and starting to have more anger and it not going well. <laughs> not at all. Um, not at all. Yeah, not not going into into details here at this time. But um yeah, it didn't it did not go well. There is no space for it. No. No. And uh it was either co-opted or twisted or yeah or evidence that you were a bad person yeah exactly but yeah finding ways to take a natural emotion that I was feeling and turn it into something that was that I could do something with which Mm -hmm. you know joke was kind of on me because turning myself into like a shame-filled monster not a lot I could actually do with that but it was more palatable for my abuser. So there we go. Uh, I mean, like on that note, like if we're just talking about like anger, it's been like a long process of, I like I always, you know, twisted it and with there not being enough room for it, like I always misidentified it or, or twisted it or had it twisted on me, like, and it ended up, Uh, It had to be something else. And so it was always something else. And then recognizing like at a certain point, and I think, I think probably like my mid twenties, early thirties started to, to kind of recognize, uh, I think, I think like maybe I had like a hot minute, you know, like teenage years during like some more acute PTSD where I was like listening to a lot of corn and something had immediately happened. And I was like, wow, I'm like, I do have some anger right now. Um, but then that mutated into depression. <laughs> I don't know why corn is so uplifting, but um, <laughs> but I'm not I'm not making the band responsible for my character art. Don't worry, <laughs> um, I'm just I'm just laughing. But anyway, like at a certain point in I think like mid twenties, early thirties, like had to face. Oh, I do have a lot of anger, like that I've just been like keeping you know kind of like under the surface that you know just sort of like recognizing that I was actually filled with rage and that was very uncomfortable because I had always like really identified as the kind of person that you know and prided myself uh in a weird twisted like not so healthy way on being like I'm not angry like it's I like don't get angry or you know just sort of like that you know and that that made me a good person this weird, like, you know, personal, like, ego thing uh, and, you know, talking. I'm more evolved than that. Yeah. Like some doing, doing some nice spiritual bypassing in order to like not deal with all, all the repressed anger that I was holding on to. Um, So there was a lot of that. So recognizing, um, acknowledging that I had massive amounts of just unbridled rage that I had never recognized or dealt with. And that, um, you know, and also not identifying with that and being like, that makes me a bad person. It doesn't. It doesn't make me a bad person that I have a whole bunch of like anger that I need to deal with. It just makes me a person with unbridled rage. Well, (laughs) specifically like 
looking at it from the angle of every emotion has its wisdom, like every emotion has its its place and its reason mm-hmm. for existing. And the positive aspect of anger being that you get angry if there's injustice being done. Exactly. And it gives you the the power, the energy to fight back, to, you know, fix the situation, mm-hmm. to make make a wrong right in some way. And that it's it's not just an inherently negative emotion. Yeah. And that's um, exactly um and I think I did a lot of that work like at our at our college, really recognizing like hey, there's actually a lot of anger here. And that's not because that's not a flaw in who I am as a person. It's just something natural. And it's a signal that there's some stuff that I haven't been dealing with. And now in order to to become the person that I was pretending to be before um, or fooling myself into thinking, you know, like, you know, if we want to reach some some spiritual stage of evolution, we're going to have to feel some of that anger and we're going to have to sift through this and also, you know, just like ask for the wisdom in that and like, why am I angry? What made me so angry? What was happening that I was not paying attention to in order to ignore all this anger? Because that's what was happening. I was ignoring a whole lot of bullshit that was happening, that was not okay. You know, so so all that anger was stuff that I wasn't, you know, situations that I wasn't dealing with. And sifting through all that, like, has been many years of work. And I'm still doing it. And ultimately just just kind of recognizing, um, you know, that, that that was that was some bypassing that I was doing and figuring out, you know, that that there are healthy expressions of anger and trying to figure out what that looks like for me, what that looks like for my partner, which is especially challenging because he's uh, a very a very big cis man. And so for us navigating uh, healthy expressions of anger together has been a journey. And it's it's still a journey for for both of us in very different ways. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely a a tricky emotion. I think just yeah, not not judging cuz I think kind of listening to to you talking and also realizing that you know, yes, there there was a lot of bypassing and a lot of, you know, repression and also sometimes there's not a better option, you know, mm-hmm. in our situations. It it takes being in a safe environment for an extended amount of time to feel safe and able to look at these things and take them out and engage with them in a, a gentle, safe way. And it's not always possible to do that if we're still in an abusive environment. Yeah. Um, and that's not, you know, anybody's fault. Or so it's not your fault rather, you know? Yeah, no, it's, it's very true. And, and, yeah, I I didn't deal with it before because it wasn't time. Yeah. You know, it wasn't safe and it wasn't time. You do the work that you have to do when you're able to do it. And um, you know, so so the work that you have in front of you, like if it's if it's starting to come up, like it's do what you can when you can and Oh yeah, do do what you can when you can. Yeah. You know, and and I don't know, it, it's making me think of a uh, just like with that particular individual in my life when things started coming up for healing and there was a lot of anger or I wasn't even really at the anger point yet, but there was a lot of trauma memory coming up that I had not really like not forgotten, but 
definitely repressed and not connected emotionally with just kind of like, yeah, that's a thing that happened. And that used to happen all the time. And that's, you know, a thing that happened (laughs) and it has no bearing on our present relationship and we've never talked about it and never gotten an apology and, you know, but it has no bearing on who I've become as a person, (laughs) like, you know, this huge, huge thing. And just like asking, you know, I asked the individual for space while I, I processed some of it. And I didn't get angry about, you know, this, this abuse and this trauma until that boundary of me asking for space was repeatedly breached. And then I got angry. <laughs> um, and, you know, everything started to kind of unravel from there in, I think, what it was a a necessary way. But yeah, generally, from my experience, at least, it seems that from an emotional regulation standpoint, the people who can handle it, you know, stick around and the ones who can't either can't handle it or have been benefiting from us not having a full range of emotions, uh, they make themselves known in that process. You know, it's then making a choice between, or for me, it was, you know, in that moment, choosing between this newly discovered pieces of myself that were coming up in full color, rather than just in the kind of emotional black and white that they had been in before. And it was, do I continue to repress these things in order to preserve this relationship? Or do I realize that I need a break from this relationship in order to incorporate these pieces of myself. And, you know, 30 years seemed like a sufficient length of time to not be whole. Uh, More than sufficient. (laughs) Mm. Understatement. And yeah, it sucks, but sometimes, you know, sometimes there are individuals who don't belong in that journey. Yeah. Yeah, I was just kind of kind of thinking about um the lines between healthy emotional like self-regulation versus you know it can I think veer into codependency and unhealthy, you know, reliance on other people to manage our emotions. And obviously, yeah. um, well I guess not obviously to some, but um personally that's not what I'm striving for. <laughs> um, you know, I I want healthy communication and healthy relationships where we're able to be mutually supportive, but not dependent on each other for being okay. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's been a, I think just a balancing act as, you know, I'm reintroducing powerful emotions that I haven't previously felt or felt at kind of full volume. And it's a, yeah, it's, it's, something that I think we're constantly navigating and, you know, trying to always keep tabs on and keep an eye on because I think it would be very easy to, to kind of slip and stray into that codependent territory. And thankfully my partner and I are on the same page about not wanting that. I love that you touched a little bit there on, um, you know, when I was thinking about like having this conversation, um, not just about, emotional self-regulation, but also the journey of not only regulating your own emotions, 
but learning how to stop being responsible for other people's emotions, um, especially if you have certain kinds of abuse or trauma in your history. Um, because a lot of abusers and it can be, it can be any kind of relationship, you know, it doesn't have to be romantic. That's usually when we talk about abusive relationships, everyone always goes to romantic relationships. Um, it can be any, any person in your life, you know, can put you in that situation where you are responsible for regulating their emotional state. And it's very unhealthy and deeply unfair and damaging. And it often habitual. Yes. And it's very difficult to get out of that pattern, no matter, no matter where it comes from, to stop making yourself responsible um, or allowing someone else to put that on you. It's a, it's a very difficult pattern to break. And generally not really received well. Nope. <laughs> um, I've had a lot of talks about this with my partner because I, I think he's, he's kind of done this with, with some family and just kind of stopped stopped filling that role of regulator and it's not always received well. And I, I know for me as well, you know, like if, if people are used to you filling this mediator role for them and, you know, helping them manage their difficult emotions, suddenly stopping, you know, it feels very abrupt. It feels to them almost violent. I, I was going to say it, it is received as a form of violence or um, aggression. Yeah. It feels like something is being done to them because I, I mean, thinking of it in the literal sense of, you know, like someone is carrying your baggage for you. If you've got a really heavy suitcase or something that has all your shit in it and you're used to the person next to you, lugging it along, dragging it for you. And all of a sudden they're like, you know what, this isn't mine. Here you go. Mm -hmm. You know, in the moment, all it feels like is like, well, I was walking along fine. And now suddenly I'm dragging this heavy suitcase full of shit that I wasn't having to do before. Yeah. And if you haven't done the personal work to recognize, oh, this is mine. This is my shit. If you haven't done, if you haven't done the work to own your own shit, then yeah, it'll be very abrupt and offensive. Mm-hmm. Like, how could you not give me notice how could you not like give me a heads up that this was coming and it's like well i mean you should have been carrying it all along yeah yeah so that's the thing yeah <laughs> sure is sure is yep and i'm trying to think of like some good advice for dealing with that um recognizing it is a big thing and then you know slowly making the decision to draw those boundaries in, in your life to stop doing that emotional labor, you know, where, where it's not healthy and learning how to ask for consent and making sure that other people are asking you for consent for the emotional labor, you know, starting, starting to build up that pattern. And when you do that with other people, it helps them to learn how to do that with you. So conversationally, like I think you and I have started to do that probably since we went to the same college. Um, but, you know, kind of conversationally like, hey, are you comfortable, you know, if if we discuss this or is it okay if I bring this up or, you know, checking in with, uh, you know, in terms of like, are you open to receiving support or advice or, you know, like, 
would that be unwelcome? So kind of checking in with each other about what are, what are we doing here? What are we doing here? And um, is it okay if I, if I vent about something, you know, and I'm not looking for advice or help. I'm just looking to vent, you know, and like feel heard or validated or, you know, just like, I'm just, you know, so something like that. Um, for solutions. Yeah. But just level up with communication in terms of what you're looking to experience within a relationship or what kind of things you are open to giving or receiving um, and clarifying those things for yourself on a personal level and then taking them into other relationships and even asking you know, other people to be mindful about the way that they're interacting with you. Those are great things to do. And Honestly, like I feel so much safer in the friendships and relationships that I that I have since I've started altering, you know, those things in my communication levels. Like since I've since that has become a level of communication um, or clarification that is asked for or provided within relationships. And, and without that, like, you know, like and I recently had like some some stuff go down, like some emotional labor stuff go down that was not healthy um, that came from out of left field and, you know, kind of helping me recognize like in a relationship, like, Ooh, like this person regularly demands or expects uh, an unreasonable amount of emotional labor uh, and they don't ask for consent, you know, so recognizing like, if I want to transform that relationship, I'm going to have to, you know, like that, that's something that I have to do for myself is either I clarify with that person or set boundaries and start setting boundaries and figure out how to do that with that person. Or I make the decision that that's not something that I care to do. And I, you know, just allow distance to happen or I enforce that distance, you know, and just sort of like, you know, do I want to put work into mending the way that this is happening? I think one of the crucial elements of that that we're kind of touching on, but not necessarily saying is in order to, to do that and to have that level of communication, we first have to be able to identify what our needs are. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that sounds like such a simple thing, um, but for at me all. at least that's been very, it still is very challenging Same. Uh, to know in any given moment, just like, what are my needs? Like, what are my body's physical needs? I have needs? Wait, they matter? I know. Well, like, first of all, like, whoa, I have them. And then I'm supposed to meet these needs. And I'm supposed to prioritize these needs above other people sometimes. Because, you know, put your own oxygen mask on first before assisting others. Yeah. And, and just that whole notion of like me having needs and that being important is still kind of mind blowing to me. And that's part of why I'm trying to get these, these somatic (laughs) check-ins. Like I'm trying to figure this out because how on earth am I supposed to communicate to my partner what my needs are? If I don't even know what they are, if I don't Mm -hmm. even realize I have needs, And I just kind of have been realizing that I've been going through my life just kind of, you know, periodically just breaking down in various ways, um, usually physical ones, illness related from not eating, not, you know, sleeping, not drinking enough water and just, you know, 
vomiting because I have gastroparesis from years of an eating disorder and just not being a functional person in so many ways, Mm -hmm. all because I can't do that seemingly simple task of admitting that I have needs, that my body physically has needs. Mm -hmm. It needs food. It needs water. It needs sleep. Like these are basic things basic needs yeah that i still really struggle with admitting that i have and it makes it harder in in relationships uh particularly you know i live with my partner so it's a domestic partnership and that makes it very difficult for a partner because I, i can't communicate effectively with him about what i can do in our partnership to be helpful if I don't know how many spoons I have, if I don't Mm. even know what my needs are and what my energy allotment is, how can I give him, you know, a reasonable sense of what he can expect from me? Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I very much relate to that. Yeah, no, I very much relate to that. Well, and, and for me recently, like, you know, all of those things, 100%. And then with like, not realizing how many spoons you have, like, I didn't realize I was out of spoons. Like that, 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 that can just happen sometimes where you're like, I didn't, I didn't even realize that I wasn't keeping track of them. And then all of a sudden I was out, I was just completely out of spoons and was just like almost sitting there crying and you know when like that one extra thing happens and i was like oh, i have none i have no spoons they're Where gone they where did they go um <laughs> oh, right i use them on this and this and this and that and what do you mean i don't have 10 million yeah just uh and it, it's just uh it's 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 difficult um cuz you know if you yeah, you, if you if you don't pay attention, it's really easy to 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 without even noticing sometimes um, just slip back into patterns of not prioritizing yourself and then be in a complete deficit uh, and completely break down in whatever way that looks for you, whether it's physical or emotional or both. Which, you for know, the record, and- doesn't help anyone. No. <laughs> Like, like I think in my mind, I'm always like, no, no, like by deprioritizing my need to eat food, you know, I can do all these other things. I can get more work done. I can, you know, be a more present partner in whatever way, you know, I can feed the dogs. I can take care of all these different things. You know, if I, if I had children, you know, taking care of them, but then mm-hmm. you know, once I'm out of spoons, which let's face it, if I'm not eating, that's going to be real soon. And all of a sudden, I'm fucking useless. And then all of that falls on my partner or, you know, and I'm very fortunate to have a partner who can be helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, if you're if it's in a work setting, you know, and all of a sudden you're just not there or you can't be there, mm-hmm. you know, all of that work falls on other people. So acknowledging what our limits are. It's not fun, but we have to do it. It's yeah, it's so difficult, and that's and that's so true. Like you know, and I recently, like I was doing the same thing with me, like not you know the the silly thing of like the self care being something I'd like write down and not check off, you know, which is like a very silly way to approach it. Like that's not reasonable or feasible at all, um, you know. And then, um, but it made you know, the list. That's, it, that's- 
progress. Is it though? Yeah. Well, I mean, um, I guess it is for me. No, it didn't right. used to even be on the list. on the list. Like, yeah, but, but just just that kind of thing where like it's not supposed to be just one item like on the list. It is supposed to be like a constant part of your day where you are constantly meeting very important needs and then doing other things. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and continuously like you know helping or working. Yeah. yeah, there's things that we have to do, and there's things that meet our needs. So like eating, sleeping, uh, drinking water, you know, mm-hmm. those are very immediate needs that we meet pretty, pretty quickly. And things like working at a job, less immediate payoff. Mm-hmm. We still need to do them to survive. Like we got to pay rent, we got to pay mortgage, whatever, you know, got to, got to buy the food that we can then eat. But it, it's, uh, yeah, less, uh, you know what I mean? I think I think something that might help me in terms of making my list or something that I should keep in mind when I am writing that to-do list and kind of organizing my day is start paying attention to um you know and you I can go like full spoon theory in in terms of like how many spoons does it take but like that doesn't necessarily there's also another level because everything takes spoons. Everything takes energy. Like even if it's doing something for yourself that will help you and is a maintenance thing, mm-hmm. everything takes spoons. But also just recognizing when I'm writing that list of like, here's what I'm going to do today is like asking myself, is this giving of myself or is this filling my cup? And noticing if I am consistently writing lists the only thing that is on that list that is consistently like time after time being prioritized or is actually getting done, if all I'm doing is giving of myself or filling someone else's cup or providing energy or or giving. And if I'm not putting things on the list or doing things on the list that involve filling my own cup, refilling my own resources, because that's something that I I straight up will do over and over again. And that's, that's how I burn out. I need to, to be able to ask that question of myself or just pay attention to that aspect of how I'm constructing my day or my week or my month. You know, have I just set myself up to be completely drained and maybe not do that? Let's not (laughs) do that. Please stop. No more sad salad baths. Um, That's maybe not a sign that we're doing well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You actually just reminded me as you we were talking, you know, you're asking me earlier, like, what do you do to, you know, help self-regulate? I'm like, oh my God, I can't think of anything. <laughs> I don't regulate at all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just a walking pile of emotions. <laughs> um, but yeah, one of the one of the things that I have realized, and I actually I have a list on my phone that is things I can do when I need to regulate, and I don't look at it because <laughs> you know I don't want to do it. <laughs> um, let me see if I can find it here. I'm sorry, um, that was so funny. <laughs> <laughs> let me see. Let me see. Um, oh, I appreciate you so much. <laughs> homemade bug spray. Nope. Uh, <laughs> I don't know where the list is even. I don't even. I don't even. What are my... Where is it? Uh, 
Oh my god. <laughs> I made a list. <laughs> I swear. I swear. <laughs> well, but ultimately, like, this is part of that process, too. Checking in with self and being like, how do I regulate? Emotional I coping regulating? skills. Ah! There we go. And realizing like, oh, I have a list. I haven't been paying attention to it. I don't know where it is. I found it. Like, this is a part of the process. This is from two and a half years ago. Welcome. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Is it it still relevant? Do you feel Um, like sharing it? Let me see. Yeah, I can. I'll go through it and I'll let you know if there's anything to edit out. (laughs) Eat something. Drink something. Meditate. Use the Curable app. That's a um, a chronic pain app. Go for a mindful walk. Write in journal. Take a shower. Foam roll or self-massage. Stretch. Do yoga. Call a friend. Go to a park or conservatory. Use assertive communication. A dear man. Make plans with a friend. Go grocery shopping. Go get coffee or tea somewhere. Play harp. Make a gratitude list. Masturbate or have sex. <laughs> Yoga Nidra. Complete a project for work. Write a letter or postcard. Workout. Uh, following current movement or mindfulness guidelines with big stars next to it. Uh, schedule an appointment. Call a family member. Read a favorite book. Take a bubble bath. Sing. Dance. Listen to music. Make a spreadsheet. Make a list of current life priorities. Write out a goal plan. Practice energy healing. So most of those are still applicable. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. So I might I might do a little tweaking and update it, but um, but one of the big ones that is almost always helpful, and I do surprisingly rarely, uh, considering that it's almost 100% helpful every single time is playing harp and singing. Mm. And I found that extremely helpful in regulating emotion in working through in processing emotions. Um, And particularly if there's, you know, something, something old coming up that's interfering with my present ability to, to regulate and be present music and playing playing music and and singing I found really helpful and and I think what got me to try it was seeing I think a TED talk or something talking about how music uh uses the entire brain and it's Mm. one of the only things that uses kind of everything all at once or um that's fascinating and helps with you know aging as well because you know it's mathematical it's physical you know there's muscle uh interaction and muscle memory and if you're playing pieces from memory there's that there's just a lot going on when you're playing an instrument so i love doing that it also takes some energy and i think there's also a little bit of like self-sabotage in that i don't do it as often as i want to because I feel like I don't deserve it. Mm. So that's tricky. Great thing to recognize. Yeah. But I love doing it. It works pretty much every time. Um, Is there a note that you can write yourself to put like on the music stand or something like that to, you know, like some kind of affirmation or something that can like check that self-sabotage? 
Maybe. I think it would be something probably on my computer desktop. Because mm. um, I don't even get to the harp most days. Mm. Okay. Because even though it takes up a surprising amount of our living room. Because um, <laughs> it is basically like another roommate. It is so giant. Yeah. it. Uh, it's a concert harp. Yeah. And I, I have a little one too, but mm-hmm. yeah, the big one is is big. But yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a sort of a self punishment sort of thing of you know, oh, I didn't mm-hmm. get enough work done today, or I I hate myself for what you know whatever reason it is today, or oh, it's going to be inconvenient for my partner to hear me singing and playing this angelic instrument. Oh. <laughs> You know, like it's gonna be such a nuisance. He's gonna have to listen to me. <laughs> you know, to um, be serenaded in your own home. <laughs> I know what an inconvenience. <laughs> Inconvenient. Um, and like I love it when he plays plays guitar and sings and you know does music and it's I adore it. And yeah, for some reason I'm like, no, it's gonna be. He must just hate it. Because as we know, harp is just the worst sounding instrument in the world. (laughs) Not at all. It's great. It's really hard to make one sound bad. (laughs) But yes. On the note of music, I um, actually like just before uh, our call, I was actually thinking about music as well. I um, back in the days of an iPod mini. Uh, that you it had this accessory where you could have a like a clip that attached to it. So it could clip onto your, onto your belt or your waist, you know, like, or something like that. And you could actually, you know, it was, it was the evolution from the Walkman, you know, something that could be on your person easily and connected to you and, you know, have headphones in. And and then they stopped making those clips. And once they no longer did the mini, then I had like a classic and there was no easy way for me to have it on my person. Um, because as you know, femme clothing and pockets, not really as much a thing. And it uh, it disrupted my ability to always have music on me and be a part of my day. And I moved very starkly away from having access or having music be a consistent part of my day. I used to always have a headphone in. And a part of that, I think, was some. sometimes I think it was disassociation. It was me being in another world. But also, I think that was healthy for me at that time. And it helped me get through the world. Um, having a playlist that went along with life um, and carried me through the day or through my reality, I think, was very helpful. And it also... Well, no, I I maybe wasn't in my body all the time, but I was in my emotional body and it did help me feel very strongly. Um, So I had uh, a very strong sense of an emotional body um, that I was strongly inhabiting Um, because as I sat down and started listening to some music, which I don't do a whole lot because generally if I'm in the house, I you know, would be disrupting other people. Other people would have to be listening to my music. Or I'm in the studio 
and I can't be listening to music because I'm editing audio and I have to be listening to the audio that I'm editing. And so I just end up not listening to my own music or or if I am, you know, in a time and a place where there's music being played, then it ends up being my partner's music or the few things that we can both listen to. Uh, and there's a sense of compromise and not a sense of just being able to play what I need to hear. And so I happened to be alone in the house earlier and just blasting some music that I wanted to hear and having a very emotional experience with it and realizing that it was a sense of like helping me come out of that that burnout or something because it allowed me to feel some of the feelings that are kind of under the surface of this burnout. And that was very important. That was very healthy. Music is very healthy. And it's something that has been very lacking and was very much a part of me experiencing life and being able to experience self and regulate my own emotions and experience my own emotions. Because uh, we do regulate our emotions through music or through a playlist, you know, because like you you press a song and you have an experience. And so it's it's the ability to to feel what you need to feel, um, you know, or if you've ever had the experience of like replaying a song over and over and over, like, you know, to like feel sad, like, okay, so you need to feel sad. And that's you acknowledging that and like allowing yourself to have that experience and seek out that necessary experience. Like, you know, it's it's not like fucked up that you do that. We all do that. And also like, you know, be able to play a song to put you in a in a powerful headspace or to feel powerful or to feel whatever it is that you need to feel. So really just like recognizing like, hey, this was like a really important tool and a really important part of my life. And I continuously recognize this, that, you know, due to a tiny piece of plastic no longer being in production has just not been as much a part of my life. And I need to figure out a way around that. And it honestly is probably Bluetooth headphones. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Some stupid shit like that. <laughs> no, I, I definitely, uh, definitely resonate, you know, very, very similar. I think uh, we probably got that from our dad growing up, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, just that love of music. And yeah, I've have had playlists for years and years and, you know, they all have different names or like they've got the date and then a descriptive word or I've got, you know, them organized by, yeah, the emotion or the, you know, I, I'll put together playlists that start in one emotion and then end up in another by the end. If I'm like feeling sad, but I don't want to be feeling sad, you know, it'll start off with some things to really feel the sadness fully and then be like, okay, let's work our way this way. <laughs> I like that. You know, but it's really nice because it means that whatever I'm kind of working with, I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm, you know, feeling, feeling feelings about abuse. Well, I've got a playlist for that. Do I want the regular playlist that has everything? Do I want the one that's angry about it? Do I want the one that's sad about it? Do I want the one that's like healing empowerment from it? Like I got a playlist for all of these. (laughs) I love that. That's like what that is, is curation. Like you're curating music. Like that's awesome. Like I have an eating disorder playlist. Yeah. <laughs> it's like healing from eating disorders. And, you know, everyone is going to resonate with different types of music. That's true. I, I really 
love music and yeah unfortunately being being a a grown-up means that usually I don't actually listen to music a lot while working I listen to audiobooks usually because music doesn't keep my attention quite as well Uh, but if I'm driving you know I pretty much always have music on and I like I like having that um, personal control over what feelings I'm you know eliciting Whereas with the radio, it's like, well, who knows? I feel like this is a good place that we've ended up with, you know, like music and um, yeah. I dig, I dig. Well, anyway. Yeah. Play music, sing. Play music, sing. Your vocal cords are, a, are an instrument too. Just care for them. Yeah. And it doesn't, it doesn't have to be quote unquote good. Sing for yourself. Have oh, fun. Yeah. Make, make noise. Take, take make noise, space. take up space. Yes. Did you just say the same thing? I did. Oh, I love it. It's literally so in eating disorder intensive outpatient, uh, we got to make our own placemats. And on one side, it's a bunch of like bits and pieces from the Andrea Gibson poem, uh, My Body Sings Electric Even When My Power's Out or something, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, which is one of my favorite poems. And it's killing me that I can't can't remember the exact name right now. But that's the the one that's like I said to the sun, tell me about the big, the big bang. bang. The sun, the sun hurts, hurts to be, to be calm. calm. Yeah, great, great poem. If you haven't heard it, look it up. It's amazing. I'll link um, it. But on the other side of my placemat, it just says "take up space" and a whole bunch of rainbow colors, <laughs> and it's like giant. <laughs> I like that. So like yeah, that. take up space. Yeah, make noise. Take up space. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for just kind of hanging out and having, talking some real talk and having a chat with me. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate you. Thanks. Yeah, it's been a while. Thank you so much. Have a good night. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Please check episode notes. There you will find some resources and links to some of the things that came up in our discussion today. I am currently fundraising to afford a Descript subscription in order to make Finding OK more accessible to the deaf, hearing-impaired, and neurodivergent communities by providing transcripts for episodes. This is the next big step for Finding OK, and it will help me reach more survivors who are seeking support. Any and all help is appreciated. We're now only $45 away from reaching the goal, and anyone that contributes will be thanked in the end-of-season thank-you episode. A huge shout-out to my Patreon members who make this whole shebang ring possible. Sadanka, Emerald, Kathleen, Betty, Sharanya, Ashley, Christopher, and a very special shout-out to my newest patron, Meadow. Thank you so much, Meadow. You are incredible, and I have no words for how much your support means to me. You all make everything possible— And I appreciate you all so much. Thank you. You can become a Patreon member at various tiers to support the podcast and to gain access to bonus picks, audio, sneak peeks, early access, and video episodes. There is a new $1 membership tier for listeners who enjoy the show and are looking for an easy way to support my work. Make sure to follow me on YouTube because select video episodes are starting to become available. 
You can stay updated by following me on Instagram, and you can find me live streaming on Twitch, where I play chill games, paint, do ASMR, tattoo, edit the podcast live, and do occasional Finding OK Q&A streams where you can ask me anything. It's honestly the best way to get to know me and connect on a more personal level. Please visit the podcast website, www.finding-ok.com, it's where you can find all the links to my social media. It's where you can learn more about me and all my guests. It's where you can read reviews, leave reviews, contact me. It's also where you can find links to donate. Did you know you can leave me a voice message on my website? Leave one in the next month, and it could be chosen to be played in the end of season thank you episode. I hope to hear from you. There's nothing like actually hearing your voices. It honestly makes me cry. Finding OK is crowdfunded. It is listener support that is keeping the podcast alive. If you can't afford to donate or become a member on Patreon, one of the best ways that you can support the show is by leaving a review and sharing online or by word of mouth. Thank you again for listening. This has been Finding OK. Black Lives Matter. Take care of yourself. Your heart is a muscle the size of your fist. Keep on loving Keep on pointing and hold on and hold on. Hold on for your life.